Events happen and then they're over. Then no matter how significant the event was, how big of an impact it had on us, it becomes part of our past. High school, for example. You may have loved high school. You may have disliked it so much you finished early, like I did. But that's okay because it's in the past now. You might decide to go to a reunion to remember the good old times or the bad old times. If Hollywood is any measure, apparently plenty of people fantasize about going back and doing high school over, but getting it right this time. But we can't. High school is just a memory. Other events, on the other hand, become not so much a part of our past as a part of our life, like marriage. Even though most couples put much more time and effort, not to mention cash, into preparing for the wedding than they do into preparing for marriage, as long as a couple stays married, the wedding becomes history, but the marriage becomes part of their past, present, and future. And as anyone who has been married for a while will tell you, marriage changes. It evolves. What was important at one stage of marriage seems trivial at another stage. It evolves because living people and life situations inevitably change, which means the relationship changes. If someone asks a long-married couple what their marriage is like, an honest answer would be, do you mean what is it like this year? This morning, we're here to celebrate the resurrection. In some ways, the resurrection is like high school. It was an event experienced by the disciples in space and time, and then it was over. It had a huge impact. It changed them dramatically. They got up and they got going so that Luke had to write volume two to his gospel, the book of Acts, a whole book with the apostles as its main characters. But to be fair, it didn't start that way, not on the first Easter morning. Luke says the women at the tomb were terrified, and when they bring the report back to the men, they were met with derision. Apparently, just hearing that about the empty tomb isn't going to clear things up, not for the disciples and not for us. I find it comforting that in Luke's story, the discovery of the empty tomb doesn't lead to an easy change of perspective. It brings confusion, not clarity. The disciples' first reaction to the women's story is that it's an idle tale. And that's actually a fairly generous translation of the Greek word, leros. Leros is the root of our word delirious. In other words, the disciples think the women are nuts. One thing this story tells us is that Easter isn't about perfect faith. Luke and the other biblical authors believe that doubt, questions, even downright skepticism, they're part of faith. Faith, after all, isn't knowledge. As the author of the letter to the Hebrews reminds us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The disciples came to faith slowly. That first morning, perhaps even they, would have had their fingers crossed when they repeated, Christ is risen indeed. In Luke's gospel, the big turnaround happens that evening after two disciples run into a stranger on the road to Emmaus. They invite him to join them for dinner, 
And when he breaks bread as he did at the night of the Last Supper, they recognize him as the risen Christ. Eventually, Jesus appears to all of them. And after this first-hand encounter, these frightened, discouraged, and grieving men and women are transformed into brave, hopeful, loving bearers of the good news. They live out the rest of their days in the full confidence that there's no darkness so dark No threat so dire, no death so deadly to stop them from telling the world, showing the world that love has conquered death. Looking at it one way, we're more like the men and women before the Emmaus Road encounter. We don't get the man himself at the dinner table. We get a report. We get the story in the Bible. We get a sermon. But like the women, we also have the words of the angels. Why do you look for the living among the dead? If you want to find the risen Lord, don't look in a cemetery. Look among the living. And here is what happens if we look among the living. Anything living changes, grows, evolves, requires relationship. And so we, like the disciples, discover that resurrection is not a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. Resurrection is less like high school and more like marriage. It is a relationship with the living God. And the living God is always doing new things. Relationships with the living are never certainties. And resurrection begins by challenging our certainties. Experience teaches us that death wins, and even the strongest succumb to it, right? Experience teaches that life is what you make it, and so get what you can while you can, because it will be over soon enough. And the Easter message says, really? How can you be so sure? Really? How can you be so sure? Easter is confrontational in that way. And resurrection is dangerous because it means God is on the loose in the here and now, in the world, in my life, and in yours, rattling cages, changing game plans, and shaking things up. The power of God in Jesus Christ, the power to forgive, the power to save, the power to transform is loose in the world and always new, always renewing the world. You think you know how the world works, how things have to go, what is possible? Really? How can you be so sure? This means it is always appropriate for us to ask, what does Easter mean this year? What new thing is God doing in our hearts and lives and the world? What is it now that needs the dangerous, confrontational, radical love of God that says yes to life and no to the powers of death and destruction, powers that can just as easily be found in the musty halls of order and tradition and so-called safety as from someone pointing a weapon at us. What does Easter mean this year? Does it mean letting go of the certainty that what's good for our economy is good for the world? Or the even flimsier assumption that 
we could know with any certainty what is good for us? Might it mean looking for an understanding of religion that won't set us against other people who believe differently or who do not believe at all? This year, does Easter mean letting go of the certainty that a God-blessed family is restricted to one narrow definition? Could it mean rising up against whatever it is that would have us accept that an average of 268 people have to be shot every day in our country? And what's going on in your own lives that needs Easter? Does Easter mean letting go of the certainty that forgiveness is just not possible? Either the forgiveness you need or that someone else needs from you? Does it mean coming face to face with whatever is not working in your life and understanding that you cannot tackle it alone, that no one can be truly human alone? No one can be human alone. Earlier this month, a Pakistani woman named Perween Rahman, an architect and activist, was shot and killed in Karachi by a gunman on a motorcycle. She worked with the desperately poor in Karachi, exposing exploitation and striving to change it. Her death reminds us that standing between the poor and those who would take advantage of them to make a buck is still dangerous, just as it was for Jesus. In an interview before her death, she said that early in her career she had designed skyscrapers, but they had become for her arrogant symbols of individualism and wealth. Rahman said, we need to rise horizontally, rise together as a community, not vertically, not like the skyscrapers. And then closer to home, last week we lost one of our dear saints of San Anselmo. In the Presbyterian tradition, a saint is not someone who does miracles and then dies. A saint is someone who makes God more believable someone who may not be all good all the time, but who enjoys God's goodness. That was Valda Whitman. She enjoyed the goodness of God. Valda was raised in a family of atheists, but as time went by, she knew there was some mystery bigger than herself, larger even than the world. And she found her way here, full of doubts and questions, but ready to listen and ready to be part of a community. She was baptized in her 50s, and she became here in this congregation a connector. She built community with her hospitality and her love and her curiosity. A couple of days before she died, she talked to me about the hope, her hope that she would heal, that she would recover, but also about the fact that she had moved beyond the fear of death. I told her that the way scripture talks about that is that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God. And she talked to me about her family, her church, her friends, her quilting, her community, and the love and wisdom she found there that gave her strength. Valda lived fully until she died. Valda's story isn't dramatic, or is it? The power which on the first Easter day shattered death is now given to us to live, even in the very face of death. 
That is dramatic. The same power that rolled away the stone that day is the power available for us for living as well as for dying. What does Easter mean to you this year? Does it mean rising horizontally to stand with, up against the powers of death and destruction? Does it mean living fully until you die? Whatever it means for you this year, there is one thing that does not change. Easter is not just a memory of the past, but a reality now and forever to be celebrated with joy, with trumpets and the hallelujah chorus today and with whatever the equivalents are in the unforeseeable future. Because love is the victor. Death is not the end. The end is life. Christ's life and our lives through him. I don't think I can summarize this better than Harvard chaplain Peter Gomes, who used to conclude all of his Easter sermons with three nuggets he called the good news of Easter, and three short, easy things to remember over lunch. Number one, Easter is not just about Jesus. It is about you. It is about us. Jesus has already claimed his new life. Now is our chance to claim ours. Number two, Easter is not just about death. It is about life, and not just life after death. That's the easy part but real life before death, right now. You do not have to die to live. Three, Easter is not just about the past, way back then and long ago. It is all about the future. Literally, I say to you, your best days are ahead of you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things become new. Hallelujah and amen.